Welcome to OB Wannabes, an educational podcast about obstetrics and gynecology and women's health for medical students and women's healthcare providers. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of OB Wannabes. I'm Cassie. And I'm Shelby. And this week, we're going to be talking about gynecologic oncology and the student experience in a gynoc clerkship. So Shelby, you had your gynong rotation back in, I think, December, right? Mm-hmm. So first off, what is gynong? Right. Okay. Um, so gynong uh, offers an integrated approach to the diagnosis and surgical management of women's cancers and complex benign gynecologic diseases. So not only are they treating cervical cancer, endometrial cancer, ovarian cancer, uh, they will also treat complex issues like fibroids, endometriosis, um, someone that's had several abdominal surgeries and they need a um, hysterectomy will be referred to a gyne-oncologist. So they're kind of the surgical specialists of OBGYN. Cool. That's pretty cool. I know thinking of like when you hear gyne-onc, you're thinking mainly just cancer, um, but it's interesting and cool that they get to do so much more than just the cancer part. It's also those more complex uh, cases that come across. Yeah, absolutely. So that means that you really see, you still see a pretty wide range of age in your patient population because you might, certainly you'll see a lot of perimenopausal and postmenopausal women that are coming in, you know, for uterine or ovarian cancer where the follow-up after they've been treated Mm-hmm. Um, but then you'll also see, you know, people in their twenties that they realize that they have, um, complex cases of PCOS or they have endometriosis, um, fibroids that are causing irregular bleeding. Um, so you still get to see a pretty wide variety, which is cool. Definitely. So what was a week like, uh, for you on your rotation? Obviously everyone's practice is a little bit different, but what did you experience on your rotation? Yeah. So they have, uh, in this clinic that I was in, they had three days of surgery and then two days of clinic every week. And so it was kind of a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we had surgery starting fairly early in the morning. Um, and then just going till early afternoon, unless there something came up that was relatively emergent. Um, and then on Tuesday, Thursdays, we had clinic and, you know, it was just a regular office work day, um, like nine to five, um, seeing patients that are both um, coming in for new consultations and people that have been going there for years who, you know, they've been um, cancer free for like 10 years, but they still follow up every year with their guy and oncologist. Very cool. So you talked earlier about how, you know, doing a lot of the surgeries, taking care of that uh what about um, other treatments for cancer? Because obviously, you know, we think of oncologists, they're managing the entire cancer treatment. So do the gynonks bring on board an oncologist or what happens with that? Um, it definitely depends. It definitely depends. I would say typically they also manage their chemotherapy. Um, the clinic I was in, they had a chemotherapy center in the same building. And so they could prescribe what management they wanted the patient to have. And so, you know, if they need a tumor debulking, they would schedule that surgery and then say, then we'll put you on this specific chemotherapy 
you know, in this um, schedule. Um, Mm -hmm. There, there were some cases that they would send them to a regular oncologist. Um, I think sometimes it was patient preference um, because, you know, maybe the office is really far away and uh, it's something I didn't think about before, but chemotherapy, you have to come in multiple times a week or once a week. And so Mm -hmm. making it manageable for the patient becomes very important. Um, But yeah, that's definitely something that um, the gynocs can manage themselves. And so that was another thing that I found interesting about the specialty is they really stay up on the research and keep up with what the medical societies um, say is you know, the most efficacious treatment for what type of cancer the woman has. And they also had um, clinical trial specialists in the office that would come in and talk to, uh, for example, cervical cancer. There's a lot of clinical trials going on right now, Mm -hmm. at least from what I saw, um, on changing their treatment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And so a lot of the younger women who are coming in with cervical cancer, they would see a clinical trial. Um, I don't know if they're a clinical trial specialist or um, like advocate um, and kind of plan that out and decide whether they just want to go the traditional arm of treatment or give the um, clinical trial a chance to see if it, um, you know, gets rid of the cancer uh, more effectively. So, yeah. Yeah, something I that was something I didn't know about uh, Gynonc is that they do their they can manage the chemo for the patients as well. And I think something when you're going into OB Gyn, uh, you definitely don't think of doing chemotherapy and managing chemo. Um, definitely thinking of like oh, doing surgeries and you know, so that makes sense going down that surgical route. But in terms of chemo, that's definitely something I think not a lot of people are aware of. Yeah, absolutely. So they're the cancer surgeons. So they, they kind of do a little bit of A, a little bit of B. Uh, it's really impressive. I, I really thought they were all rock stars. <laughs> I mean, to stay up to date on that and not only just doing, you know, being able to do those surgeries because those surgeries are pretty intensive um, sometimes. And then, you know, we've talked about this before, not only just in terms of the gynecological um, organs and areas and anatomy, you also need to be really up to date on your um, abdominal anatomy because that is um, plays a huge role in it too so doing that and managing chemo and doing all this a little bit of everything yeah truly and um, I was gonna touch on this later but something that I thought was surprising uh, like my first week or two of my rotation um, is if the bowel is involved at all, they are trained to manage that on their own. Um, I think I assume that they would bring in a general surgeon or a colorectal specialist. Mm-hmm. Um, but in their fellowship, they really become comfortable with operating on bowels. So we had a couple cases where, you know, we thought, oh, it might be a cancerous ovarian mass, but we don't really know yet. And then we send it to pathology during the case and they say, go looking for a colon mass because this is metastatic colon cancer, uh, which is really unfortunate Mm -hmm. uh, to see. But then they resect the bowel. They take out the mass, um, send that to path. They'll um, set up uh, ostomy bags themselves. Um, And there were a few cases where the colorectal um, specialists that 
are part of their practice would be part of the case as well. But, um, but yeah, they, they seem pretty comfortable operating on Bell, um, which I also didn't think uh, OB Gynes did. <laughs> yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. That's a lot of surprises, I guess, and um, things that you wouldn't expect. So, I mean, if anyone's listening to this and, you know, thinks they might be interested in OB Gyne, but, you know, also maybe, doing oncology or, you know, doing GI, hey, here's, here's an option for you. So uh, what was one of the most interesting cases you saw? I did see a case where someone had familial adenomatous polyposis. Mm -hmm. um, And they additionally had a um, uterine mass. And so just seeing like how complicated the procedures could be Mm-hmm. And also kind of learning about uh, the familial uh, genetic disorders that can increase your risk of cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there were certain things that I learned in first and second year that I was like, we have to know this for boards, but I'll probably never see it. But uh-uh. yeah, but in something like Gynonc, of course, you're going to see it more because those patients need to be screened uh, like frequently for cancers and um you know, unfortunately, they have a high risk of developing cancer. And so the first mm-hmm. place they're going to be sent is a gynonc. Um, so I think those cases were definitely interesting. Um, saw a couple that they either thought they might have Lynch syndrome or they knew that they did. Um, and so I think the familial genetic disorders, that was like a pretty interesting thing to see. I also thought that the any kind of explorative laparotomy where they knew there was a mass in the pelvis, but they didn't know, like, is it a uterine mass? Is it, sometimes they weren't sure if it was uterine or ovarian or mm-hmm. if it's colon. <clears throat> so going in and not knowing what to expect was kind of um, exciting in a way and, and scary because obviously mm-hmm. the patient, you know, we don't know what to tell them until they go in and, and check it out. Um, but yeah, there were some pretty crazy masses, um, and some of them were like, you know, benign teratomas. Um, there are also some cirrhosal cancers that are just like, have this crazy brown fluid on the inside. And like, I don't know, they're just, they can be really funky looking. Our bodies grow some, some <laughs> interesting stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, uh, Sometimes we would operate in concert with you guys, not in the same month as you, but the month after you would do that. Um, but saw some of those, definitely like the fluid filled. So it was very uh, interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and I, I'm kind of jumping around, but I'm remembering as we like talk about it. Yeah. Um, there is also a case where someone had advanced rectal cancer and mm-hmm. it had um, invaded the posterior Um, vaginal wall and so they had to unfortunately remove the anus and rectum and they would have an ostomy bag for you know Mm -hmm. the rest of their life Um, but uh, they also removed you know the mass from the vaginal wall meaning they lost the posterior wall of their vagina Mm -hmm. and so um, the doctor I was working with actually uh, using um a rectus flap, uh, the abdominal muscle was moved down and basically repaired the perineum. 
and the posterior vaginal wall. Um, and I was like having a hard time understanding how they were even doing this, like uh-huh. keeping the blood supply. But that was really interesting to see. And when it was all sewn up, it really looked normal, like a normal perineum. Um, obviously, it didn't have, you know, an anal orifice anymore. But I was like, mm-hmm. how is this possible? This is so cool. So they get in a little bit of reconstructive surgery as well, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so we, you talked about earlier about the different types of pathology that you can see in gynonc. Obviously, this is going to be population dependent on where the, the practice is. But what was the most common patho- uh, pathology you saw on that month? Hmm. I would say primarily uterine and ovarian, not as many cervical cancers because Mm -hmm. luckily we're screening people more regularly. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) So speaking of all the different things that, you know, different types of cancers and the different classifications and all the anatomy and everything, what are some tips that you have for any students who are going to be on a gynoc rotation? Yeah, I'm really glad that you mentioned that. So it uh, it looks like the gynocs, they really like looking at what the medical societies, um, you know, cla- how they classify different types of cancer as far as both the grade and the staging. Mm-hmm. And they're different for each one. So if you learn how they stage cervical cancer, unfortunately, it's not the same as how they stage uterine or ovarian so just take a peek at those or maybe just have them printed out. It's, mm-hmm. I feel like it's a little unfair to expect a medical student to know how each of those is is staged. But if you know where to look for them, yeah. up to date has a really good reference on, on any of them. Um, but some of the medical societies that they like are American Cancer Society, of course. Mm-hmm. There's NCCC, which I think is um, National comprehensive cancer conference if you look at any of the um, cancer societies those are a good reference as well Um, and then as far as knowledge for surgery um, I found it helpful to look at videos you can look up uh, YouTube videos on pelvic anatomy there's even videos of actual surgeries where they'll point out the anatomy so I did that a little bit, um, definitely mm-hmm. reviewed. If if I knew what cases were going on that day, I would try to review, um, you know, what the anatomy was in that area. So, I mean, the pelvic anatomy, I feel like certain things you should just learn your first couple of days. Like, okay, that's the broad ligament. That's the um, infundibular pelvic or the suspensory ligament. Um knowing that how to identify those because mm-hmm. that's like the blood supply to these structures. So obviously they're going to be tying those off, cutting them. Um, so, so definitely learn those, um, get comfortable with identifying them on different body types. Um, and then I definitely had a lot of experience uh, during my rotation with closing skin. And then later on, um, you know, having a chance to suture other areas um, during the surgery. And so if you're able to practice suturing um, at home, um, that's a really good idea. 
Um, just learning how to close laparoscopic openings. Um, you know, that's probably what you'll get to do usually. And then learning how to do surgical knots. Um, in, in my experience, they're pretty patient with that um, since I'm a third year. But the sooner you learn them, surgeons are always pretty impressed if you know how to do hand ties. Mm-hmm. Um, that's unfortunately didn't happen to me in December, but in January, I finally had it down and I had a breast surgeon go, wow, like the gynox really taught you well. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> uh, honestly, the best way to learn hand ties is to YouTube it. There's a couple of really great resources where they just walk it, walk you through it step-by-step. Step. Um, cause it's definitely mm-hmm. not intuitive, but it feels, yeah. it feels cool when you get it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what other resources were good. Um, honestly, up to date was was really good because um, they summarize, you know, what are the most common risk factors for a cancer? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's epidemiology like for that cancer? What are the treatments? Sometimes they'll even walk you through the details of the surgery. And so if you mm-hmm. want to look through that before your case, um, that can be really helpful. So you know what what structures they're identifying and um, all of that. Cause they might, they might not always walk you through it step-by-step step while they're operating. Right. I'm going to say usually they won't. Um, <laughs> and I will say that as much as you might prepare with, you know, whatever resource, they will probably ask you something that you didn't prepare for. Um, and so, you know, and they won't ask you the things you did prepare for. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, not related to gynoc, but I had a, um, I saw a partial hepatectomy in January, and I read everything about the liver and everything about this surgery. I read like, I I just find it really confusing how they number the lobe. So I'm like, they're gonna ask you what number lobe this is. Like, be ready. And then they ended up asking me, they're like, what's that thing pulsating right here? And I like was so caught off guard it was the heart it was the heart beating through the (laughs) diaphragm and I was like oh I don't know it's some kind of big blood vessel is the aorta so basically you know try your best but we're all we're all learning and none of us are Mm -hmm. you know surgeons yet or maybe never will be so (laughs) yeah I think it's definitely something important I know uh I was always told you know we don't expect you to know how to do the surgery because you're not a surgeon so the things we're going to ask you are related to the things that you should know you should be able to know the anatomy you should be able to know like the physiology the pathology things that we learn in our first two years but definitely reading up on the steps of the surgery help so that you can follow along with what's going on and you don't get lost yeah absolutely and it's a great opportunity to just test yourself on the anatomy so you know if it's a pretty quiet procedure you know you're not really being talked to, you can just, you know, test yourself and be like, okay, what am I looking at right now? Try to orient yourself. Um, And then uh, some general advice about really any rotation, but especially in the OR. Um, I always found it really helpful to, you know, ask the scrub techs, what can I help out with? Um, Because sometimes you're not going to get to be, you know, the assist on a surgery. So if you Mm -hmm. can help, you know, transfer the patient to the OR bed, or um, if, if you can set up the stirrups, because a lot of the gynoc procedures have stirrups, 
you know, setting up those little things and, you know, making yourself look busy, I think that comes off really well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then pretty much on my first or second day, the scrub tech uh, asked me to start putting in the catheter um, at the start of the surgery. And so uh, that's always a good uh, skill to practice as a medical student. And especially when someone is already under anesthesia, I feel like it takes a little bit of the pressure off. There's still a time constraint, but again, it's something that you can work on and you're helping everyone out. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that's uh, something that I've found helpful. Just always try to stay busy and help as much in the OR as you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really great advice. Um, so something really cool about Gynonk, uh, last week, the, they released the uh, preliminary NRMP specialty match data. So what that is, is for the, uh, for the fellowship positions. Um, so what you would apply to after residency, the data on that, because that match happens before the uh, regular residency match. So they released that data last week. Um, and what's really cool is that of the um, four most competitive subspecialties that were offered that had at least 30 positions open, um, three of them were OB-GYN related, uh, so, so OB-GYN fellowship, so gynonc, REI, and then fel- female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery um, all filled at least 95% of their positions offered. The other one was pediatric surgery, um, and the highest fill rate was Um, among the USMD graduates was gynecologic oncology with 93% of their uh, positions filled. So gynonc is something that's really uh, competitive. It's something that a lot of people are interested in, which is really great. Yeah, that's awesome. That's crazy, like how competitive it is. And I'm sure it's only getting more competitive. Um, And that that reminds me to bring up that um, I definitely on my general surgery rotation, I talked a lot about my gynonc rotation and how much I enjoyed it. And they were, uh, you know, telling me that if I really enjoyed the surgery to consider, do I still like OB-GYN as much? Um, Because, uh, you know, a gynonc fellowship can be pretty competitive and, you know, it's extra years of school. So if you're like on a one track mind for gynecology, it might be hard, you know, if for any reason, you know, life happens, you end up in general OB-GYN, you know, will you be just as happy? I think that's a good thing to consider. Um, And some of the doctors I worked with, they said like, oh, I had to do gynoc because I hated delivering babies. But (laughs) some people might not like taking that chance that, okay, if I don't Mm -hmm. do gynoc, am I going to be stuck delivering babies? (laughs) I don't think either of us feel that way. um, But some (laughs) people might so if you, you know, if you do a gynoc rotation and you're like, wow, this is the best thing I've ever seen and you don't love, you know, OB, for example, you know, consider mm-hmm. general surgery as well. Um, so I thought that was good yeah. advice. Definitely. You know, you got to make sure you're happy with all aspects of whatever you're going into. It can't just be a part of it. One of our classmates called me uh, last month on our OB rotations like, hey, I've always thought I was going to do IM, but now maybe I want to do OB. After talking to her, she didn't really like the surgery aspect. Uh, she didn't, wasn't like, she enjoyed doing deliveries, but it wasn't her favorite thing in the world. What she loved was being in clinic with the women and doing education. Right. So 
point, I was like, you don't really want to do OB gyn You want to do medicine, but you want to focus on women's health. Mm-hmm. So, oh, you know, that makes sense. So really making sure you understand what you're getting into and make sure, like you said, you're happy with everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's totally like the mindset I've been having, like thinking about what we want to do. I'm like, okay, what do I like most about women's health? Do I like, you know, operating? Do I like delivering? Or do I really like that counseling part of it where you're talking to them in the office about, you know, STDs and contraception and, you know, family planning, all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. Not positive, but yeah, this month I've, I've definitely enjoyed the office part of it, you know, seeing that in family medicine. Um, Mm -hmm. So we'll probably talk about that in the future. Yeah. And speaking of uh, family planning and things like that, fun fact that this year was the uh, first year that they had an official uh, subspecialty for complex family planning in the NRMP specialty match. So first year was in as a fellowship. Yeah, it's really great. And even though it's its first year, it was um, one of 38 out of 68 programs that filled 90% or more of their positions. So even though it's brand new, technically, as a fellowship option, it's definitely, it was filled. So definitely still popular. So that's really great. That's great. I honestly yeah. didn't realize that it wasn't a subspecialty already, but that's really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, Shelby, thanks so much for sharing with us your gynonc experience. Of course. Um, yeah, I'm happy to share and just kind of process, you know, my experiences a little bit, figure out mm-hmm. what I want to do. So Uh, happy to do it. And Cassie, I believe we're going to go over one of your rotations next week on Eurogyne. Yeah. Pretty excited to talk about some incontinence. (laughs) Woo. Love that. Do not want to have it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is very common and we'll talk about that next week. So (laughs) thanks everyone so much for joining us as we learned more about Gynonc and what it is as a student um, and we hope you join us next week to learn more about Eurogyne. We are third year medical students at Toro University of Nevada College of Osteopathic Medicine and we are student members of ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and ACUG, the American College of Osteopathic Obstetricians and Gynecologists. The views expressed in this episode are not representative of any of these organizations, and this podcast is not affiliated or associated with any of these organizations.